open up, please, to the book of Proverbs. We are going to be marching on in the book of Proverbs. Thus far, now that we're a few weeks into our study of Proverbs, Solomon has done a couple of things. He's given his identity. He's told us who he is. Uh, he's given his purpose in writing the Proverbs, which distilled down is be wise enough to know you're not wise enough and you need more wisdom, right? And then he's given kind of his baseline operating goal, uh, operating platform and his goal, which is that a proper fear of God is the true source of wisdom. And, and Solomon is about to give his first set of principles. He's a, just about to get into the, the practical nitty-gritties of Proverbs. And first, though, he delivers a wake-up call. Okay, he starts out with an attention-getter, a, a quick little motivational chat. You've done it. Right? In some of your contexts, you've, for example, with your kid, you've looked at your child and you've said, hey, eye contact. Pastor Rick, have you ever noticed that? He does that with us. Come on, eye contact. It's his way of saying, wake up, pay attention. Okay? Uh, you're about to, to talk to your kids or, or even to uh, your significant other or your spouse or just someone you want to have a meaningful conversation with. Huh? And um, you notice they're distracted. Maybe by a toy Maybe by a book, never by an electronic, you know, item. Maybe it's by a phone or a tablet. And you say, hey, 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 put, put the phone down. Put the toy down. I need your eyes. Look at me. I need you to know that what I'm about to say is important. And then we deliver the instructions, right? And so this is what Solomon is doing here. He's taking his son, his listener, his reader. He's taking us and his son by the figurative shoulders. And he's kind of shaking him and turning him to face him. And saying, hey, listen up. Focus here. This has impact on your life. What I'm about to say has significant impact. So listen up. It's almost, almost like the, the sanctified version of um, you know, a parent saying to his kid, do, do you think I'm just talking because I like to hear myself speak? No, there's a reason for this. So read with me verses 8 and 9 here in Proverbs chapter 1. It says, Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Indeed, they are a graceful wreath to your head and ornaments about your neck. In these two verses, King Solomon, who I might remind you is the wisest man to ever exist, okay, King Solomon lays out two considerations for the learner in life. First, consider the need to heed. Second, consider the reward to reap. All right, so Solomon, the wisest man on earth, gives two considerations for the learner in life. We're going to take a look at first the consider the need to heed. He says here, hear, my son, your father's instruction. I mean, Solomon is no fool. His wisdom is legendary, right? Review mentally everything that people did to come and listen to him. And they traveled great distances. They brought great gifts, all because they wanted to, to, to listen to the, the wisdom that flowed from the lips of this man. And in his wisdom, he knows the propensity for words to flit 
in and out of a listener's ears. I mean, we, we so often do with, uh, with words and instructions what we do with junk mail. We'll pull it out, we scan it, and we pitch it in the trash. Where Solomon is exhorting his son and us to actually treat these things like some sort of vital correspondence. Like say you got a letter giving you instructions for how to receive a monumentally massive inheritance. But there's like 48 steps in which you have to do to get that inheritance. You're not going to take it out and say, huh, that's interesting, in the trash. You're going to take it out. You're going to read it. You're probably going to read it again. I'd wager you'd read it again, and then you're going to fold it up, and you're going to put it by your bedside table. And then at the end of every day, you're going to read it and say, how am I doing on this? Am, am I working through this list of things I need to get done in order to receive this inheritance? See, there's a difference between how you handle the mail depending on the importance of the mail that you get. And so Solomon knows that that tendency is there. The word, the word here that he uses here in verse 8, here, when he says, here, my son, has a range of meaning from simply just sort of registering auditory signals um, to, to an obedient conforming to whatever is being son, uh, said. You know, so in the, in the sense of here as in let it come in and then let it affect what you do and what you think. And so at this point, he's saying, listen up, pay attention, and give heed. Respond in conformity to your father's instruction. This is not just sort of allowing the, the words to come in and dink around the, the empty spaces in between your ears a little bit and then out to go the other side. This is allowing them to go in to make an imprint on our brains, affect our thinking, and influence our actions. Look back in Genesis 3.17 to see how this word is used in that kind of a sense. Not just hearing auditory signals, but hearing and then acting accordingly, obeying, heeding. Genesis chapter 3. We're going to see it play out in a negative situation. Adam and Eve have just plunged the whole human race into sin. God has cursed the, the snake, and he's cursed the woman. And in verse 17, then to Adam he said, Because you have listened, because you have heard, because you have heeded the voice of your wife. The wife who said, hey, this is good. Here you go. Go ahead and eat this. Because you've done that and you've eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, you shall not eat. Then he goes on to demonstrate, to, to explain his curse on man. And so that's an example of what it is to listen in this sense. Listen, hear, and then act. Okay? He should not have listened at that point. But that's the word. Look in Exodus chapter 19. Swipe, turn, do whatever you got to do. Exodus 19. Verse 5. 
Uh, let's start in verse 4. Moses is speaking to the Israelites, and he says, you, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, speaking for God, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now then, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be my own possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine. There the word is actually literally just translated obey. So here equates to obey in this kind of a context. And so Solomon then is saying hear, but do more than just sort of let the signals hit your ears. Hear, listen, heed, and obey your father's instruction. And now what is supposed to be heard and conformed to instruction? If you remember, look back with me in verse uh, 2. As Pastor Adam was giving us the, the whole description of why the Proverbs were written, it says, to know wisdom and instruction, the same word right there. Okay, and then in verse 3, to receive instruction in wise behavior, same word right there. Verse 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Okay, so this idea of instruction has some significance in this context. But what's not immediately evident in, in this use is that there's, there's often the idea of corrective, even disciplinary type of action in this word. It's a corrective instruction in most situations. So it's not just, here's some factoids to learn, you know, or some, some things to understand. It's, it's corrective instruction given for the sake of altering behavior. And Solomon knows the tendency. He knows the tendency uh, that, that a learner is, is often so prone to be independent in spirit. So often kind of devoted to the idea that, no, we've, we've got it all figured out already. And so any sort of corrective word or action is kind of perceived as, a, as an affront to intelligence or to capability which maybe it is an affront to your intelligence and capability, and it might be warranted. But corrective action is, is seen here as something to heed and to obey. And Solomon encourages his son, his listener, his reader, to hear and to heed his instructions, even the corrected ones. Don't, don't be insulted. When someone seeks to correct your behavior especially from the, from, from the Bible, and as we'll get into later, and from a father or from a mother, as they seek to correct what you do or think, don't be insulted. Listen to it. Heed it. Apply it. So there's an element there of, of listening with the, with the idea of obeying, but there's also an element of perseverance. See, not only do we need to heed the corrective instruction given, we need, to, we need to persevere in the application then of moral and ethical teaching. It's in verse, nine, um, uh, verse 8, the second part of verse 8. He says, hear my son, your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. So Solomon then brings the mother into play. And he says, your mom is teaching you. And the word there is Torah. Her, her, her Torah. Don't forsake her Torah. Uh, the law. In these contexts, though, it's, it's best understood as, as moral and ethical teaching. 
okay? Not strictly the, the Mosaic Torah, but the instruction sets that are designed to inform our moral and ethical lives. So where the corrective instruction lends itself to correcting behavior, the po- this is the more the positive side of instruction. Hey, don't do that. Correct yourself and, and work towards this. And Solomon urges perseverance. He says, don't forsake. The idea of, of forsaking here is something that's occupied you for a little bit. And then kind of like you've got, you've got um, an inability to focus on it or you just get distracted by something else and you just sort of drop your toy and you walk away and you go find a new toy. Um, biblically, we, we see the word when um, Saul, in the Old Testament, Saul's dad sends Saul to go find some donkeys. Okay, if you remember this, he sends Saul to go find some donkeys that have been lost. In the course of that, Saul ends up doing all sorts of crazy things. He interacts with Samuel. He, he starts to prophesy, and he, you know, his whole anointing of king takes place. And then a servant comes and finds Saul and says, Saul, your dad is looking for you. He's, he's forsaken the idea of the donkeys and is just concerned about you. He was worried about the donkeys, but now he's worried about you. He's left that, and he's on to this. Okay? So he was occupied. He was concerned. He was thinking about these things for a little while, but then something else overcame that thinking and overcame that concern, and he moved to something else. And so Solomon is saying, don't pay attention to your, your, your mother's teaching for a little bit and then end up abandoning it. Don't work at it for a little bit and then let it slide. What good does that do to you? I mean, think, for example, what good does it do to you to stay sexually pure in high school? You know, mom says, this is her instruction, so stay sexually pure in high school, but then just just forsake that when you get to college and start sleeping around. What good does does that, that do you in your high school time if you just forsake it and put it to the side? No good. What good does it do to you to prioritize justice and honesty for a time only to throw it all away and start to lie and cheat for the sake of some sort of illicit gain? It doesn't do you any good. You have to persevere. You have to persevere. If you forsake the teaching, it's all for naught. It's no good. And so this is all before Solomon actually begins his instructions. Okay, those start in verse 10. When he says, my son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. Okay, that's where, that's where he's going to go. But right now he's saying, heed it. Persevere in it. Listen to it, apply it, and don't forsake it. So he gives them, he urges his son, his listener, to consider the need to heed. But then he dangles a carrot. He dangles a carrot before his son. He doesn't just say, heed because you ought to. He goes on to, to furnish proof of why you ought to heed and persevere by then urging the learner, his son, us, to consider the reward to reap. Verse 8 again says, Hear, my son, your father's instruction. This is actually going to come up several more times. Hear, my son. And do not forsake your mother's teaching. 
Indeed, they are a graceful wreath to your head and ornaments about your neck. What if I told you that I could give you three keys to winning friends and influencing people? What if I told you I had written a book called Seven Steps to a Winning Lifestyle? Sounds pretty good. What if I told you I could help you overcome the obstacles to many of life's difficulties? You just have to sign up for my free weekly email newsletter. You'd probably think I was a huckster and you'd probably laugh me off the stage. But it's not so far from the reality of today, is it? Or the, 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 the supposed reality of today. That, that processes and procedures can, can claim to yield some hugely wonderful outcome. I mean, these are, these are actual book titles here. Born to Win, Find Your Success Code. Become a Better You, Seven Steps to Improve Your Life Every Day. And then Nine Steps to Living Well Forever. Kind of intriguing, really. But they seem laughable in some ways because they, they promise just huge, grandiose results, guarantees, by just following these steps and you'll have all of this results. And, and they should be laughable to us because it's man's wisdom. Yet, Solomon here is saying, I have two keys to an attractive, gracious life. Hear your father's instruction and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Here, Solomon is saying, I have two steps to gain the esteem of those around you. Solomon the huckster, except he's legit. Hear your father's instruction and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Two things that will help you have a life of honor. He's no huckster. He's no crest-whitened, photoshopped, oily-smiled salesman. He is the divinely inspired, wisest man in the world. And I think we should listen. See, this graceful wreath idea and the ornaments are metaphorical. The reward of heeding the instruction is not necessarily, you know, widespread fame, financial wealth, external beauty, or something like that. But the reward can certainly be deeply local renown, relational and spiritual wealth, and intrinsic beauty. That's what those words connote. A, a, a wreath of grace a graceful wreath to your head and ornaments about your neck. That's, that's what that idea has. They, they there in, in that verse, indeed, they are a graceful wreath and ornaments. They are the instruction and the teaching. When you heed instruction and when you persevere in the teaching, then it adorns you and it adorns your life with grace, with attractiveness, with, with an intrinsic beauty of character and with, with ornaments about your neck, which is the idea of, of strands of gold or things like that that connote honor and position. Waltke says that they are symbolic metaphors signifying victory and vindication over enemies, power and life, as well as prestige and high social status. It's like when, when Joseph was able to, to translate Pharaoh's dream. 
you know, and then he also provided a plan for the seven years of, of prosperity and then the seven years of famine. He said, here's what you should do. Here's what the dream means. Here's a plan to get through it all. And Pharaoh's like, wow, that's fantastic. I'm going to give you my ring of authority. I'm going to clothe you in the finest clothes. And then I'm going to give you heavy gold chains of position and honor. Those are, those are the types of chains that is at hand here. Wow, I mean, when a learner humbly listens and applies and perseveres in the correction and instruction given, it makes a significant difference in his life. It will, it will deck you out in favor and in grace and in attractiveness, in acceptance, in beauty of character and life, and it will bring you honor. Let's, let's look at a couple of examples of this. How it played out. Um, look back in Exodus chapter 18. Starting in verse 13. So it came about the next day that Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood about Moses from the morning until the evening. Now, when Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, what is this thing that you are doing for the people? Why do you alone sit as judge and all the people stand about you from morning until evening? But Moses said to his father-in-law, because the people come to me to inquire of God, and when they have a dispute, it comes to me. And I judge between a man and his neighbor, and I make known the statutes of God and his laws. Moses' father-in-law said to him, the thing that you are doing is not good. You will surely wear out both yourself and these people who are with you, for the task is too heavy for you. You cannot do it alone. Now, listen to me. I will give you counsel and God be with you. You be the people's representative before God and you bring the disputes to God and then teach them the statutes and the laws which make known to them the way in which they are to walk and the work they are to do. Furthermore, you shall select out of all the people able men who fear God, men of truth, those who hate dishonest gain, and you'll place them over as leaders of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. It's quite a game plan here. Let them judge the people at all times, and let it be that every major dispute they will bring to you, but every minor dispute they themselves will judge, and so it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this thing, and God so commands you, then you will be able to endure, and all these people will also go to their place in peace. So Moses listened to his father-in-law and did all that he had said. Moses chose able men out of all Israel and made them heads over the people, leaders of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, of tens, and they judged the people at all times. The difficult dispute they would bring to Moses, but every minor dispute they themselves would judge. And then Moses bade his father-in-law farewell, and he went his way into his own land. And we know that's the pattern that goes on. And, and that was wise counsel, and Moses heeded it. It was his father-in-law even, you know. But he's a good example right there of demonstrating the humility to listen and to apply and then to, to persevere. And it changed both his ability to function and his, um, his, his, his position and his character in the nation. As opposed to being the guy, he demonstrated the wisdom that was advised him. Let's look at a negative example, though. Judges, chapter 14. 
Judges chapter 14, verse 1. Then Samson went down to Timnah and saw a woman in Timnah, one of the daughters of the Philistines. So he came back and told his father and mother, I saw a woman in Timnah, one of the daughters of the Philistines. Now, therefore, go get her for me as a wife. Then his father and his mother said to him, Is there no woman among the daughters of your relatives or among all our people that you go and take a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? Good counsel, Samson's parents. But Samson said to his father, Get her for me, for she looks good to me. There you go. That's a reason to go find a wife. Samson just threw the advice right back, and God had a plan for that to, to carry out his own purposes. And yet, if you read on, all it does is reap Samson strife and contention and fighting and a bad reputation even, even in the millennia to come. He did not heed his father's instruction or his mother's teaching in those situations. So, so heed instruction and don't forsake the teaching. Persevere in them. And as you do that, it's, you don't have to just kind of sit there and go, okay, I'm going to heed. All right, I guess I should make the choice again to go ahead and persevere. Well, no, you, you persevere and you anticipate the fruit of it. You relish God's faithfulness as he brings about those intrinsic benefits. A graceful wreath about your head and chains, ornaments about your neck. Chains around your neck doesn't sound so good, does it? Chains of jewelry around your neck. But, but how, do, how do we apply this, okay? There are two arenas I want you to think about tonight. First is you and the book of Proverbs. All right, parents, maybe you're disappointed I haven't started hollering at the kids yet to obey your parents. And we'll, we'll get there a little bit. But... But first, we have to recognize that each one of us comes to the book of Proverbs as a listener, as a learner. And, and so each one of us needs to heed the instruction and not forsake the teaching. So, Mom, come to the feet of Solomon and heed the instruction and do not forsake the teaching. Dad, Come to the feet of Solomon. Heed the instruction and don't forsake the teaching. Singles, come to the feet of Solomon. Heed his instruction and do not forsake the teaching that is going to be coming for the remainder of the book. Children, elderly, all of us, nobody is exempt. We all come to this book and specifically to Proverbs as we continue through this series, and we need to put ourselves in the position of being the learner and recognize that as a learner, Solomon urges us to consider the need to heed, not just listen, as well as consider the reward that will be reaped. Parents, the book of Proverbs is as much for your life as it is for your kids. It's as much for my life as it is for me to be able to say, no, son. You need to, okay? It's for me. It's for my life. So, so be the example to them of what it means to hear wisdom and to heed instruction and not to forsake the teaching. I mean, here's a few topics that Solomon is going to get into 
after delivering this wake-up call. He's going to talk about finances. He's going to talk about productivity. He's going to talk about depending on the Lord. He's going to talk about sexual purity, humility, and generosity towards others, just to name a few. And so, parents, let your children watch you listen and heed and persevere in these things. As they watch you conform to them and heed them and stay steadfast in those things, that will make an impact. Okay, so that's each one of us as we come to the book of Proverbs. That word right there is to, to everyone here. But then let's consider some of the family relationships. Moms and dads, I'm still going to pick on you for a moment. Solomon says to his son, heed my instruction and don't forsake your mother's teaching. What is he presupposing? He's presupposing the existence of teaching and instruction. So dads, are you instructing? And moms, are you teaching? Think of life as, as a science lab full of dangerous chemicals, glass vials with lots of smoking things coming out of it, and dangerous instruments, sharp blades, grinding gears, burning flames, okay? Do you guide your children into an understanding of the various instruments and the various chemicals, uh, guide them into an understanding of how those things work and, and interrelate and go together and should not go together, what chemicals should be combined and what should not be combined because then you'll die. Like do, or, or do you just kind of say, hey, there's a science lab. Go have fun. See what happens. Put the red with the blue maybe. I don't know. I mean... We wouldn't do that with a science lab. And so we need to be instructing. Kids do not know how to be wise on their own. There's sort of a trend in today's society to sort of like let kids discover life on their own. You want to know what's inside our children? Foolishness. That's about it. And cuteness and fun. But they're foolish and they need instructing. And so if you say, hey, kids, go play in the science lab of life, you know what's most likely going to happen? They're going to blow something up. And so we need to be instructing. We need to be teaching so for, for them to learn to be wise and not foolish. So it presupposes the existence of teaching and, and instructing. But then the question is, if you are instructing and if you are teaching, what's your goal and your basis for those things? Do we seek our own comfort and our own kind of ease in our instruction? Or are we trying to guide our kids into growth as pleasant, attractive, and honorable people? See, on the one hand, we can kind of just give instructions when the kids have finally pushed our buttons long enough that they need to be told to sit down, be quiet, and give me a break. Ugh. And that's my, that's my instruction. Right? Children should be quiet. There's my instruction. But it's just because they pushed the button long enough to finally elicit a response. On the other hand, that's sort of an example. They can be instructed in such a way as to develop a self-awareness 
okay, about where they are. The fact that a playground is different from a restaurant, that the basement is different from the family room, that dinner with the family is even different from dinner with guests over, and their behavior in those contexts is an opportunity to serve and love those around them. And with appropriate behavior in those types of contexts, they then grow up to be gracious and respected individuals as opposed to individuals who have no understanding of how to be gracious people in the presence of other people. So what is the goal in our instruction? Just to create nice boundaries for ourselves or to help them grow into those kind of people? And second, are we, do we, in our instruction, do we remember that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge? Okay, that, that's, that was in verse, uh, verse 7. Get back to Proverbs real quick. Verse 7 said, the fear of the Lord is the beginning, the source, the font of knowledge. And so in our instruction... Do we remember that the fear of the Lord is the, is the source of true knowledge? And this can take some thought and intentionality. Let me, let me just try and, and, and spur you on, spur myself on in our parenting here. This can be even the difference, as I was thinking it through, of, of just, just telling them to say please because, well, we said so. Say please. Okay, please. Okay, great. Versus working with them over the, the, the course of time to develop an understanding that you say please because that demonstrates a humility. That demonstrates a dependence. It demonstrates a humility and that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Same with thank you. Do we just say, hey, say thank you because that's what you're supposed to do. Or can we work with them to develop an understanding that in relation to God, each one of us is completely needy and completely dependent and bring nothing to the table and have no entitlement at all. And so we instruct them to be thankful because they're dependent on God and that God tells us to be thankful to him and to others in all circumstances. I mean, there takes some, some time and effort on the one hand, and, and the other is, is sort of just, it, it's a good instruction, but we can anchor it more. And those things aren't one-time conversations. And those are just examples. I mean, you could, you could press that into just about any circumstance in life, but, you know, it's not like, <laughs> I wish this was true, but it's not like kids are loud in a restaurant, and then you have a nice little heart-to-heart -heart conversation with them, and then they're never loud again. I mean, it's a process. It's a long fatiguing, persistent, full of failures and renewals process. And yet the goal, the goal for us is to ground our kids in the fear of the Lord and to give them correction and teaching for life that shapes them into these pleasant and gracious, honorable people. How's that for a job description? I mean, that's a, that's a significant endeavor. Probably should involve some prayer. Probably should involve some, some study and necessitates a significant degree of self-sacrifice. Kids, you in the three, you, you three right there especially. Your turn. 
All right, so let's say that let's let's say that your parents, kids, are doing a good job. Hey, okay, kids, you raise your hand. How many of your parents tell you to do things? Good. How many of your parents tell you not to do things? Alan Church, you better raise your hand. There you go. Because I know your parents do. The question is, let's say, let's say our let's say the parents are are doing a progressively good job at this. No parent's gonna be perfect. They're gonna fail, but they're constantly striving. We all need to be constantly striving to do that. Children then, okay, you become the variable at this point. You become the question mark of whether it's gonna be a gracious wreath or whether it's you're gonna lose that gracious wreath. And the question is, do you listen? Solomon says, when your parents instruct and when your mom teaches, listen, heed. Maybe you hear the words they say, but you don't really let them sink in. Or maybe you think about what you're saying, but in your arrogance, and I, I was there, in your arrogance, you think you know better, and so you just choose to disregard what they're saying. You disregard their instruction and their teaching. So, for example, maybe you're hanging out with certain friends, and I, I love this. You guys are all like right, it's like my, my two rows of target right here, okay? Maybe you're hanging out with certain friends, and your parents talk to you about them. They explain the right understanding of friends and what kind of friends to have, and that these are the wrong kinds of friends to have. And then you sneak around the back and hang out with those friends anyway. You kind of think, eh, parents are so old-fashioned. They, really, they don't really know what life is like. Or, or here's one. Maybe, maybe you've developed a relationship with a certain someone and your parents finally find out. And then your parents come and they talk to you about the fact that, well, here's, here's the kind of person you ought to be seeking to develop a relationship with. This person is not that kind of a person and they seek to correct your bad choice and instruct you in a wise choice, and yet you blow them off and think that they really don't understand the whole picture of life. They don't really understand how you can sway this person into such and such or whatever the case may be. Well, in blowing them off or disregarding them, not only do you dishonor the Lord who flat out instructs you to obey your parents, but you also demonstrate that you disbelieve these verses. You don't really then believe that hearing and applying your father's instruction will shape you in beneficial and attractive ways. So you can think about this for the next time that your parents and you are having a talk where maybe you kind of, maybe you kind of bristle at, at what they're saying. Okay, first off, I'd encourage you just to settle down. Your parents have been around a lot longer than you have. Oh, I can't believe I just said that. That's what my parents used to say to me. They've been around a lot longer, and so you need to settle down, and you need to listen, and then you need to tell yourself, you know what, I'm not even sure if I fully understand this, but you know what God says, if I listen and heed and obey and persevere, I'm going to grow in intrinsic beauty and in grace of character, and God's going to help to fashion me into, into a wonderful kind of person that is pleasant to be around. What a sweet thing. So the first question is, kids, are you listening and do you heed? The next is, do you persevere? I mean, I get it. Sometimes life and culture seem like they just keep 
coming. They just keep contradicting what our parents say. Solomon says, don't forsake the teaching. Persevere in it. Even after the 48th time that your friends make fun of you for submitting to your parents' curfew, persevere in it. Even after you find out that none of your other friends' parents make them do chores, persevere in the work ethic that your parents are laying out for you. Because you know what? It's going to shape you into the kind of the person that God lays out. God says it will make you a gracious, attractive, honorable person. So some of you may have parents who are not purposeful in this. Some of you may have unbelieving parents. I think that as long as parents aren't telling their kids to do things that contradict God's word, then he'll bless this principle. You need to listen. He can use the life experience wisdom of unsaved parents in the lives of their kids. Some of it even ends up being very aligned and mirroring of Proverbs anyways. So kids, you can't say, well, I don't have to listen because my parents didn't quote a Bible verse. No. Solomon says, listen, heed, obey, and persevere. And kids, you can't say, well, my parents aren't Christians, so I don't have to obey. No, that's not a deal breaker either. If your parents are instructing and, and teaching things that contradict God and his word, that gets a little bit more difficult because God's authority is highest. And in that case, if you don't have parents like that to turn to and to listen and to heed, then you need to turn to other authorities who do teach those things um, and, and heed those. Namely, church would be the, 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 the first place to turn in those kind of scenarios. But the overarching default of the Bible, the principle that is oh so rarely to be broken, is this. Hear, my son, your father's instruction. And do not forsake your mother's teaching. Parents, we need to instruct our kids for life. And kids, you need to listen up for life. You need to put the phones down. You need to put the toys down. You need to pay attention to your parents when they speak and heed and persevere. Keep on listening. Because there are incredible, incredible outcomes at stake. And they range the whole gamut. It can be life-altering, disastrous Outcomes of failing to heed and failing to persevere. And it can be life-beautifying, constructive outcomes when you do heed and you do persevere. So may God give us all grace in this endeavor, both in our families and in our own lives. Again, as we come before the book of Proverbs and, um, and anytime we come under God's word, but specifically as we continue on in Proverbs going forward. I can't, I can't encourage you enough to... Um, you know, parents especially, to open yourselves up to the parents around you. A lot of the times, parenting is kind of this taboo thing of, hey, you don't, you don't tell me how to parent my kids. But I think we all ought to be willing to dialogue with each other about, hey, do, do you see me instructing my kids? Do you see me laying out an understanding of how the world works and how God would have them 
to live in it. Open yourself up for that. Invite insight into your own life and parenting, and it will make you a wiser parent. It has been so instructive and constructive when somebody comes to Kimberly and, and, and I and, and says, hey, look, here's something to, to consider in your parenting. Da, 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 da. And, 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 and we just go, wow, we're, we're still learning all of this and talk it over, pray it over, and you know what? makes a big difference. See things that we didn't see before. So I can't encourage you enough. Don't, don't, don't keep your, your parenting philosophies and, and, and uh, parenting accountability closed-chested. Allow yourself that, that sharpening influence of your church family and especially those who are, who are wise and have gone uh, before us in those things. So let's pray together.